0: Amen. God, we just give you the praise, honor, and glory for all that you're doing here today. We ask that your spirit speak through me and to your people. Do what only you can do. We love you so much, Jesus. I know we're flaky sometimes, but you're solid. You're a solid rock in which we stand. Our hope is not in ourselves, of ourselves, but our hope is by grace alone, by faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. Our thoughts are feeble and fleeting, but your grace is sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the church sit. Amen. Amen. Come on, give someone a high five, and you can have a seat this morning. (laughs) Today... We're launching a series called Life, and today we're going to talk about the Zoe life, the Zoe life. And that's a life above the line, life above the line. Um, When I take my kids to SeaWorld, it's been a while, we got to go back. Um, Disneyland, both of my sons, uh, throughout their growing ages, um, there's always this problem that we have encountered over the years. And it's walking to this most epic, epic moment and epic ride. And then they walk up to the line, and when they walk up, there's a line. And oftentimes they weren't tall enough to ride the ride. And so what every Christian does is you, you point their hair up or you put a hat on top. That's not Christians, that's sinners, but thank God for sinners in the house today, amen. You put the hat up and you stuff the shoe with something and you have them tilt up a little bit so they don't know that you're standing on the tippy toes. I am very successful in this. I've been successful back in my testimony days. It's something that I've learned to do quite well, but the only issue is, we wait in line for the next hour after we pass the line and then we get to the second line. And they're a little bit more picky on the second line. There's like two people and they already know the game, they know the trick, and they're like, take off your hat <laughs> and get, stand straight. And they're like pushing your child to the ground. And at this point, you're just waving Benjamins like this, like see if they'll catch something in the spirit. but. Oftentimes they turned us around and denied us and sent us back. And I could imagine as a child, just feeling that like, I'm about to enjoy my life. I'm about to conquer this ride and the adrenaline that's about to go through my veins is going to be so utterly amazing. Just to find out that you are below the line to be able to enjoy the ride. Now, it sounds somewhat silly, but it is true for life itself that we often put our goal on something that promises us life and enjoyment and pleasure and happiness, and in that, we often come to realize that we are shorter, sh- just short of attaining the life that we really want to have. You, you don't have enough money, but the more money you make, You still seem to be short. You used to work at McDonald's and you seem short and now you're uh, working at a bank and now you own your own business and you're still just as short as when you were working at McDonald's. You, you've grown so much, but you seem to always come short of this true promise and experience called life. No matter what you do or how you struggle or what you do to attain life, the more you do, you realize that you are below the line. No matter how you try to spike your hair, some of you, your hair is falling out and you cannot even do that anymore. No matter how much you try to prove by standing on your tippy toes, and no matter how much you try to manipulate through conversation, so maybe they don't know that you're too short for the enjoyment of life. We seem, the Bible says that all have fallen short of the, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it doesn't keep us from measuring distances from one another. We've all fallen short, but we're often comparing when we do have an enjoyable experience or we're in a relationship or, or something seems to be happening in a season of our life where we're actually having a good time and we look at all those other people and we're like, yeah, we're pulling this off. We're enjoying life now. And if you need counseling or tips or advice on how I got above the line living then just come to me, who I have now learned how to accomplish all the pleasure of life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And to everything there is a season. Say season. There's a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born. But there's also a time to die. And we don't get to choose that time there's a time to plant. There's a time in your life where you'll get excited and you'll wanna go start a business or you'll, you'll, you'll wanna try something new or perhaps this is a new experience or a new uh, endeavor to be a part of a church and you're in a planting season where you really just wanna make a difference in your life. And you wanna start something new. You just need something new and fresh. There is a time to plant, but the Bible says, and there's a time to pluck what has been planted. There's a time to start something, but there's also a wisdom in knowing when to stop something. There's a time to kill, not your kids or your spouse, but kill that thing in you. And there's a time to heal. There's a season of your life where you will feel like everything in you has been killed. All the dreams that you've had in life have been murdered. But there is a time and a place where you have to be in a posture to receive and let God heal you through and in the process. And you have to let God, you have to know the season, you have to know the time of healing in your life. There's a time to break down and I wanna encourage each and every one of you, that is nine o'clock Sunday, actually that's as, as soon as this church is over, there's a time to break down. So everything you see, we need all you, it is time for us all to pitch in and we're all gonna break down and put all this up. So God, to, that's exactly what this scripture was speaking to. And there's a time to build up. And that's next Sunday at 9 o'clock. Everybody's here. And we're building up the kids' ministry. We're building the stage. There is a time to build up. And there is a time to weep, the Bible says. Some of you may be here today in, in a weeping season where you're expressing loss that you've experienced, loss of dreams, loss of ambition, loss of Uh, Of what's next in my life. And there's a weeping season where you turn on country music and it just starts flowing down. Some of you, right now, you would have to poke yourself in the eye to cry. You don't got a tear in that dry heart. But some of you, just the right song will cause you to be weeping. You're in a season of weeping. Those that weep through the night, they rejoice in the morning. There's a time to mourn. There's a time of expression of this loss. There's a time to dance. That's during worship. I'd love to see more of it. Amen. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace. There are things in your life that you should embrace in this season. You should say, this is for me. I'm going to own this. But there's There's also a time to refrain from embracing, because if you take on one more thing, it will destroy you in this season. There's a time to gain and there's a time to lose. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to hear, to tear, but there's also a time to sow. There's a time to keep silent. If I could ever teach my kids this principle, there is a time to keep silent. But there's a time that all of you who have been held hostage by silent suffering, there is also a time to speak. And God has given you a voice in a season to speak up, not because you haven't been through seasons of silence and suffering, but because you have been through seasons of silence and suffering, you now have a voice to speak to things that you currently didn't have the authority to speak, uh, speak to. But God said, I'm giving you authority to speak. There's a time to love. And there's times where you just hate. You hate everything. You hate everything around you. You're discontent in life. That is a season. There's a time of war. Your whole house, your job, everything you touch turns into a war. But there is, thanks be to God, a time of peace. There's times and there's seasons. And as it has been prophesied over the church, I want to encourage you today that we All have become in our understanding the seasons of life, the decades that we experience, and how life keeps changing. Um, I often say that when you walk into a hospital room, you'll know the patient is still alive. If you look on the monitor and the heart monitor is going up and down, you only have to be worried when the line is straight. Because as long as you're experiencing hills and valleys, hills and valleys, you're experiencing life. Because life is not just a flat line. Life is the hills and the mountains unpredictable. Just about the time you think you got it figured out, there's an audible in life. Just about the time you you become arrogant in your own knowledge. God shows you everything you've learned in one season. And in the next season, he teaches you to unlearn what you learned in the last season so he can show you something new in this season. Here's the thing about seasons. Seasons are predictable. There will be a time to gain, but there'll also be a time to lose. There'll be mourning, and there'll be happiness and laughter. There will be good times and bad times. There'll be moments where you're on top of the mountain, you're doing good financially, and then there's other times when you need a miracle check to come in the mail, and you're you're watching Christian TV and sending all of your money, hoping for a miracle check, because there's seasons, but What has been prophesied over our church is not that we are just in another season because our church has been, and our pastors have been through so many seasons in life, but that we are entering into a new era. And the difference between a season and an era is an era is not predictable while a season is. You can prepare yourself for the season Every year, I'm preparing myself with my summer bot. I never quite make it. But next summer, I will. And this winter, we are going to give God some Thanksgiving praise with chicken and mashed potatoes. We're going to give him some Christmas praise. We're going to eat Christmas cookies with sprinkles and stars and Santa. It's going to be amazing. But next summer, I'm going to be preparing for a summer bot. But with an era, you don't have the ability to predict because everything is new. Everyone around you is new. Relationships are new. And there's a sense of of grieving because you can't enter into a new era without a great loss. Sometimes we think, oh, we want just a new era, but are you willing to grieve the old in order to enter into the new? And are you willing to say, God, whatever in this new order of my life that you are preparing for me, I'm willing, even if it hurts at its deepest core, because I'm going to trust that you're faithful even when I don't understand. I'm going to trust that what I've tried to control and what I've tried to accomplish was good for a season, but I'm not going to let my seasons hold my new era hostage. And I'm not going to let my past punish my future. But behold, all things are becoming new in my life. I'm open to receive everything that God has for me for the rest of my life not judging what God has done in my life, not judging the way, not making a religion of the way God did it in my life, but God come to me in the fresh face of Jesus and in this season of this new era, this new order. Show me who you are in a new and fresh way. Come on, you church kids in the house who think you know God so well. Let me tell you today, God wants to show you His glory in a way that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. I know you think you can predict the songs, and you know there's a 30-minute message, and you know what to say in church. But let me tell you today that there is a new era upon you where God wants to give you fresh relationship, where He wants to show you sides of Him that you've never seen before in your entire life. Take me back to the place where I first received you, but show me something I never saw about you in this era. I want to go back when I had that first passion, but I want to have that fresh vision and see you in a way that I couldn't even see you then. The Zoe life. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 2 and 11, I looked in your outline, I looked... On all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. The writer of Ecclesiastes, second to Jesus, the wisest man in the earth The richest man, and he writes this encouraging book called Ecclesiastes, and the whole theme of it is meaningless, meaningless. And he lists some of those meaningless things. He says, labor is meaningless. Let the church say amen. He said competition between the Packers and the Redskin, meaningless. That's why we're at church today. He said life itself, meaningless. Power and authority and trying to be somebody is meaningless. Greed of you trying to gain everything for yourself, meaningless. Accolades where people are talking good about you and saying how important you are. And wealth itself is meaningless. Religion, he says, is meaningless. So you keep reading and you're like, what's the point? The interesting thing of Ecclesiastes is the key term, under the sun. 29 times he mentions meaninglessness with being under the sun. Which means he was living a life under the sun and he found everything that he did in this life meaningless. And when Jesus came, he didn't come to show us more principles and laws, how to live under the sun. But he came to give us his life, a zoe life, a life from heaven, that every meaningless thing would now become meaningful in Jesus. So I don't go to work begrudging, saying, what's the point of working here? The point is that God has shared his life with me, and I'm going to go serve this occupation Monday through Friday or whenever they call me in relationships that seem meaningless what's the point are now meaningful because I'm called to serve and love this beauty like Christ love the church because I'm called to encourage and equip and build people up because I'm called to help and to build Everything that was meaningless when Jesus shares his life becomes meaningful. Power and authority now is not something to make me feel important, but it's to advance his kingdom. All my wealth is not for me to get better clothes and houses and cars, but to advance the gospel so that all would know who Jesus Christ is. All the meaninglessness of money is now meaningful because it's not from a place of greed, but it's from a place of generosity. All the accolades of you're great, you're awesome is thanks be to God for his amazing grace that operates in my life daily. Religion is not meaningless, but the Bible says pure religion, untainted for the, from this world is true religion. It's not meaningless. It is the endeavor of the bride of Christ to come into communities and to impact people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to heal hearts, to turn hearts, to develop potential, to advance his kingdom throughout your community with your neighbors. Meaningless now becomes meaningful because under the sun, we create these laws to live by life. Not just the Ten Commandments of thou shalt or thou shalt not, but the commandments, the internal laws that we have within ourself under the sun is thou shalt be beautiful, filtered on Instagram. <laughs> thou, thou shalt make money. Thou shalt be liked or loved or known. What comes around goes around. Come on, tell me you love it as long as it's going around the other way from you. The laws that we create, the law is what works best in life, but the gospel is what works best for life. And none of the laws in which we play under the sun have the ability to give you the life, the Zoe life above the line that Christ has come to share with us. There's this lady at the... Well, in John chapter 4, Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who it, sa- who it is who says, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get living water? Jesus said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. The interesting thing about the well that we run to is there's a difference between dead water and living water. Dead water has no movement or no current, but he says the living water is going to spring up inside of you because you can have water or a sense of religion or a sense of relationship. You can have all the element of what you need, but if it's not flowing in your life, you won't have life and life more abundantly. In fact, what do they call water that doesn't move? They call it a swamp. And so you have to ask yourself, is the Holy Spirit moving in my life? Or has my life become a swamp, parasitical, where little bugs that you can't see are ready to kill? Amen. I want to talk to you about these three things, and we'll close with this. Three hindrances to living the Zoe life. Three hindrances to living the Zoe life. Number one, offense. Offense. Unbelief and unconfessed sin. Say with me. Offense. Oh, that was weak in the house today. Offense. Unbelief. And unconfessed sin. Mark 6. They were offended at him. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. I love Jesus because Jesus is willing to work through offense. Because it says he did no great thing except, which means he did a great thing. But he only did a great thing to a few people because the rest were so offended they couldn't experience greatness. He did a great thing, but the great thing was limited in its number and experience because the people were so offended. He couldn't do a great thing except. There was a few people he did a great thing for, and he healed them, and he marveled that they didn't understand that because of their unbelief and because of their offense, they were not able to receive all that Jesus had for them. What are we not receiving as a result of other people we could blame? We could blame other people for why we're not. You know, the reason I don't go to church is because they talk about me. Nobody likes me. They all give me dirty looks. We're scared of you. You don't smile. We don't know if you're going to hug us or cut us. (laughs) But it has nothing to do with what's outside of you. It has everything to do with the offense that you have inside of you. You're like, I'm not offended. Let me bring up the wrong subject. Let me mention something in the wrong way. And offense has a way of being what we call boundaries so deep in our hurt that spring up in the moment they feel attacked. Offense is not something nobody would walk around and say, I'm offended. I'm offended. In fact, the offended person will often walk in. I love Jesus. We're doing good. Just, I just, I don't want to be in community. I don't like people. You know, it's, uh, I'm not offended. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. I, I, I'm not offended. I, I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm not offended. And then all that offense and all that unbelief. Carolina Leaf said it this way so many Christians keep confessing how much they trust in God, but don't live in a way that shows that they trust God. And she said it actually causes brain damage because it's a cognitive dissonance to have a belief that you profess, but a, 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 a belief that you don't actually live or really have. It creates a detachment where you start performing as something and trying to be the better version of what people think you ought to be versus being the realest person that you actually are and saying, I'm in desperate need of Jesus because my belief needs Jesus in this moment. Some of you today, just through life and through tragedy, your belief of God has been insulted. But I'm so glad that our hope is not in the strength of our faith, but it is in the strength of our Savior. And even a little faith in the right direction can make a big difference. And he's okay with our skepticism. He's okay that we don't know it all because he left a lot of things out of the equation so you'd keep trusting him. Because the moment God told us everything, we would play God. He just tells us a little and we play God. Offense and unbelief, James 1, 6 through 8. A doubtful mind will be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. A doubtful mind, King James says, a double-minded. But the Greek of double-minded actually means a splintered or split soul a split tattered soul that has gone through seasons of life has become so impacted and impacted and cynical of everything around it that it becomes so unsettled that it becomes tossed and driven with everything that comes in life i don't know if anyone's ever been unsettled you've been in a sermon probably not mine <laughs> But you've been in a sermon and you start getting unsettled. You're like, it's it's because it's because you know I got a lot going on. You're unsettled because there's a split in the soul. But there is a deep need for God to give us belief and to give us forgiveness in a way that takes all of our offense away to make a healthy soul that only rests in Christ alone, that everything. Uh, that everything that promises to give us life that is smaller than God, that has disappointed us at the end of the day, we say, Jesus, it is in you alone that we trust. I will close with this in James chapter five. James chapter five, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. I like verse 15 because it says, if you're sick, that you should receive the prayer of faith and that you shall be forgiven. Verse 15 just said, you shall be forgiven. Verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins. Therefore, anytime you see, therefore it's you got to go back and look what was there before. And it said, you shall be forgiven. Then it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, when we think of confession, we think that it's time to display our guilt before people. I have to confess to you, I hate you. Just for fun, when I was growing up in church... Before we took communion, we would, conf- <laughs> we would confess. our. So everybody would go to the church, in the church, to somebody that they had been really mad at. And then they would tell them how much they hate them, and then they would drink the grape juice. And it seemed like it didn't get better, but it seemed like they hate each other worse in the future. <laughs> confess your sins is not you saying, look it, I- I'm-, I'm messed up. I'm a fe- I hate you, you hate me. But it said, because you shall be forgiven, therefore, which means because you're forgiven, go confess your faults. One to another, so that you may be healed. The confession of the saints is not a guilty plea. It is a testimony. And when I bring my faults before you, it's not so I can be forgiven. It's because I have been forgiven. Because when faith meets my faults, there's healing. But when I confess without faith, condemnation is produced. And it said, the prayers of the righteous availeth much, which means I'm not confessing so I can get my due punishment. I'm confessing, confessing so prayer will prevail in my life. There's a prevailing spirit when I confess the faithful work of Jesus in my faults and failures and weakness. When we come to confession, some of you may have been Catholic and you went and confessed But let me give you the revelation of that. I want you to start confessing the prayers of the righteous because how are we made righteous? Through faith. When you start a confession by faith, you are made righteous with God. So you are not just confessing how dirty and bad you are, but you are confessing how great God is in the midst of your badness. You are confessing that he's faithful to heal, faithful to save, faithful to restore, faithful to deliver, faithful to raise us up in every situation of our life. Can we stand? He is faithful when we confess. A confession of faith is a prevailing faith. I, uh, Cain and Abel, Cain actually kills his, his brother out of jealousy and spite. And the Bible says that the blood cries from the ground cries from the ground and then and then eventually Cain comes to this point of confession but his confession was the religious confession he says now that I've done this surely I will be driven out of the land surely I will be cursed and I will die and surely all that I've done I will not outlive but Genesis 4:16 says where God replies to Cain Cain not so. Not so, Cain. See, in your confession to be healed, maybe today you're like, I really messed up this time. There's no way out. I I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. I'm just so stuck. I'm so on pause, and God's Word is over your life today. Say, not so, because your confession is not unto death, your confession of faith, those that confess with their mouth and believe in their heart shall be saved. So today we confess faith. You may feel fear. You may feel anxiety. You may feel worry or despair as a human, but today we confess faith. Would you close your eyes, God? We want to experience the Zoe life, the life that only your spirit can produce, the quality of life that you've promised to achieve in us if we would be open to receive all of you. God, we've tried to measure up. We've tried to live to the standard of of making life worth living. And we've driven ourselves into our own helplessness and hopelessness and despair. And we live from one happy moment to one happy or busy moment and try to avoid all the pain that life has to offer us. But today, God, we don't want to live under the sun according to those rules. We want to experience your life in the midst of all of that. Through relationships, through finance, through labor and work, through all that we experience in life and eating and enjoying and community, help us to experience your quality of life, not thoughts that rain death in our mind, not death that comes from our lips, but creating us a clean heart and renewing us a right spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We say amen. If today you want to experience the Zoe life, would you just stretch your hand as a sign to receive? Whether it's offense or unbelief, unconfession of sins that has been hindering and robbing you, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, whether it is your own story or your own thoughts that have checked yourself, checkmate yourself, from doing and being all that God has called you to be. Today, in this moment, you have an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak to you in such a way that would rebirth you into this new era. The church is moving into a new era, but that's a word for us as individuals. It's been seven years in the next couple of months that I've been at Cornerstone And I feel like God is just, even on a personal level, moving me into a new and deeper walk with him, a new understanding of my calling. And I know if God is speaking to me at that level, then I know each and every one of you that God is dealing with his body. He's bringing you to a new era. God, we receive all that you have for us today. We confess with our mouth. Would you confess with your mouth? We confess with our mouth your righteousness. We confess today, God that our life is in desperate need of you. We confess with our mouth today, Lord, you are holy, you are righteous. You are holy, you are righteous. You are holy, you are righteous. Why why we're in this moment, if I could get Saul to come run up here. I want to I have some confessions to make to Abraham make some confessions to, to some of y'all today. Can you come up? Would you Victoria? Javi? Javi he's in the car with me most days. The reason we do it publicly is because we're a body And when God starts affirming things publicly, he wants the body to know there's a new era. There's a new era. God, I pray for Saul today and over his life, any pastors or leaders want to come help me pray? Pray over Saul today, God, that all he's received in his mind and knowledge and all the growth that you've given him to learn and to know, We pray that this is a new era over his life. Grace ceases to be grace when we work for it. But what you shall release him into, God, in this next season, what you shall release him into, all the desires of his heart. God, the wrestle he's experiencing with his future is really a wrestle against you without him realizing it, because you have already aligned everything that he needs. You are already bringing him into the relationships he needs. You've already planned for his future. May discouragement or may any form of attack over his thoughts be cast down today. May evil imagination be cast down. May self-sabotage be cast, cast down. May the burdens of his concern and where he thinks he ought to be or how far along he should have been, may that, may that scale away today and may new life just fill him in such a powerful way. May all the failures that he's accepted in his heart be released from him in the spirit of healing today. We confess that Saul is a man of God. We confess that you have a plan over his life. We confess that you are righteous and faithful We confess today, God, that the potential he's living at is not his highest potential, but you will bring him to it. We confess over him in the name of Jesus. God, we confess today over Abraham that all the desires of his heart, God, we confess that you are growing him in his marriage and his children and you're teaching him to father in new ways. You're teaching him and giving him new insight and understanding, God. We confess that you're building even more a servant's heart. We confess that you're giving him patience and humility like never before. We confess that you're teaching him how to love his wife and his wife, how to love him properly. We confess that as you grow their family, so you'll grow the ministry that is inside of him. So you'll grow the calling inside of him. We confess that what you have started in him, you will finish in the name of jesus we speak over javi today god we confess today that there is a great man of god not somewhere in the future, not somewhere down the road, but here and now, we confess that he is a mouthpiece of you, God, that he speaks to people's heart, that he has uh, discernment and insight into things that most of us don't, God. We confess over his life complete and utter healing that he would walk and step into all that he's called to be, that no doubt or insecurity or overthinking would, would paralyze the possibilities that you have over his life, but he would step in. And we confess that greater is in him still, that has not been seen. We confess that we will not limit who he is by perspective. We confess, God, that he will not be locked in a back room, hidden, and trying to not be seen, but he will be seen because he will be a mouthpiece of you. We confess your faithfulness, that what you've planted in him, that you will be faithful to reveal and to heal. God, we confess over Victoria today through the struggle and through the grind, through the temptation, through trying to find through identity and and wondering, through past hurts that have shaped her soul in such a way that needs to be healed only by you. We confess that the woman of God that she is will not be drowned by sin, will not be drowned by false thoughts or false stories of who she is. We say that there is a confession of faith over her to trust you through this next season, to trust you in this new era, that she is a new creature and that even though old habits have attacked her, she is a new creation that is in Christ Jesus. All things shall pass away. All things shall become new. All things shall pass away. All things shall become new. And we keep confessing. We keep fighting for your soul. We keep fighting for your peace of mind and your peace of heart. Not that you would just be happy, but that you would be content living in who God has called you to be, that you would walk as the daughter of God, as he has called you to be, that you would, that you would fall in love with his word like never before, that he would show you his love letter to you, to his church, and that you would be able to explain it to other broken women who have experienced similar things as you, and you can open this love letter and say, look it, this man Jesus loves you. This man Jesus is a husband. This man Jesus is everything that you will need for this life. You have to find your identity in him you have to know that when you look on the face of jesus he sees a daughter righteous standing before him you have to know that everything that says i will take you back into old thought process i will take you back into always, ways i will get you you are weak you are damaged you are frail but we confess today that in jesus you are strong you are righteous you are healed you are delivered and you are free I speak over every individual as the Holy Spirit speaks to you today. We confess over your life that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is a confession of faith. We confess with our mouth. Would you confess today over your life, with over your family? Would you confess? You have some things on your heart and on your mind that you need to get out. Would you confess today to every area that would seek to hold you hostage? Would you confess the mercy and grace of God over that life? Over every thought that would want to weigh you down, would you confess the mind of Christ? Over every anxiety, would you confess the peace of God? Over every worry, would you confess that God is sovereign over your life? We confess today, God, that we are desperate need of you. We confess. We confess, Jesus. We confess because we know the judge. And the judge is our father and he's faithful. He's holy. He's uplifting. He cherishes us and encourages us. We, we confess through the ups and downs and through season. We confess. We've confessed that we've been very selfish and We confess that we've hurt people and we confess that we've tried to disqualify ourselves. We confess guilty as charged, but we confess to our father who does not punish us today, but hugs us and says, you shall prevail for the prayers of the righteous shall avail, shall avail. You are an availing saint. You are a persevering saint tripped up by some things in life, tripped up by some habits of life, but you are an availing saint. You are an availing saint. You are availing. You are prevailing. You are what the world would call pushing, but you're in the riptide of grace and it's carrying you. And it looks like you're pushing because there's going to be so much breakthrough in your life, but you're just prevailing. You're on the wings of grace shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. We pray, God. If you're sitting by somebody, would you encourage them, whether it's with a prayer, a hug? If you got a word for them, encourage them. Minister a word of grace, encouragement, comfort. We We just want to encourage you today. We want to encourage you today. We want you to walk away filled and whole, experiencing the life of God.